Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode 17. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the acclaimed and award-winning poet and author, Samantha Kolber. Samantha. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? So you, so I so said you're you're a poet. You're an author. You're an established member, I guess, as well into the the Vermont writing world. So you're yeah, surrounded by books all the time. I wear. My, I am surrounded by books all the time, and yeah. I go to the library. I live less than a block away from the library. I'm right behind the library, so oh, really? I'm here all the time. Um, yeah, I wear many hats in the book world, and I I kind of live books like books 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 i'm a little obsessed and you also have a you also get your mfa in uh, in writing correct i did i did that through goddard college they have a, a low residency program so you can do that you know while you still work and have your other uh livelihood things going on which is nice yeah, so they have a sister campus in port townsend washington and that's where i went for uh you just published your book your it's a and we just talked before you we went on the air a yeah. chap book it's a chap book it's tiny look it disappears yeah. when you turn it sideways <laughs> <laughs> tiny but mighty that's what tiny but mighty birth of a daughter that illustration that cover illustration was drawn that was designed as a watercolor painting of your three that at the time your three-year-old daughter yeah so she she's quite an artist she loves to paint um and do a lot of crafts and when I asked her what this was called, she told me it was Mommy Monster. <laughs> Which, you know, I considered calling that the title of the book because it's kind of perfect. A lot of my poems, you know, they're a little bit dark. They deal right. with like the underside of things, things we don't normally talk about. And right. so I thought, well, how astute she's totally picking up. <laughs> you know, I guess I'm not being as, as cryptic as I thought. You know, I'm not sitting around being a monster but um but it's just kind of funny that i think emotionally she right. even could pick that up and you said and also too you said in a previous interview too that you had a uh, that you, you you call your you call your work dark but hopeful your poetry yeah i think ultimately i think when you're writing about anything dark or, or turning anything dark into art the idea behind it is that you're turning it into art so that you can process it and live through it and heal through it um, and everything is, you know, everything is ultimately done with love. So even if it's from a dark place, there's always love behind it. So in my mind, it's it's light, you know, it's light countering the dark. And the light for me is the writing, is the poetry. Right. How long did it take you to, to put together this chat book anyway? Interestingly enough, it's a, it's a weird process, right? Like I, right. I had all these poems. Um, I actually have a full length manuscript that I'd been shopping around for about a year. And it kept getting passed over by publishers. I just realized, okay, something has to change with this manuscript. Maybe it was just too big or it wasn't tightly themed enough. It was kind of like, so I said, well, what kind of theme can I do here? And I write a lot about motherhood because it's such a part of my life. So I thought, well, maybe I called them the mommy poems. I said, maybe I'll take the mommy poems and put them together. And I do have a, two kids, but my, my daughter is five. So she's kind of the closest. My son's um, 19. So I took just I thought well what if I just did the birth poems or and the the poems around her I've got pregnancy birth breastfeeding just like the early years and I I put those together and it came out to be about I think 20 poems and oh wow you know once I put them together I thought well that's a chapbook you know and I did it chronologically for these because that that makes sense for this story um, but I didn't really sit down and say now I'm going to write a chapbook of poems I write poems sometimes as they come to me or sometimes you know I'll give myself an assignment and write a poem but 
then I, then I sit down and collect them and think, oh, now I have a lot of poems. Let's see if I can put them into a book. And and you you mentioned too that in in a, in a previous interview that that the birth of a daughter has uh, is, has dual meanings to it. It's one is the obviously giving birth to your daughter, but also kind of being reborn as well as a sense of discovering yourself as as a daughter as well. Yeah. So something interesting I think happens when one becomes a mother and and also a, a parent. I'm sure it's it's um, heavy for for all people who become a parent. Excuse me. Your entire identity kind of shifts. Right. Like now all of a sudden you're like this person's mother, you're this person's parent and it's a whole new role and it's a whole new identity. And with that, you find yourself looking at all the roles and all the identities you've ever been. Yes, I've been a daughter, you know, I, I'm an adult daughter. But with this experience birthing my daughter, I don't have my mother alive anymore. And it suddenly became just a new way of looking at myself as, well, am I still somebody's daughter? if I don't have my mother. There are some poems that look at what I call like the matrilineal lineage of, of being a daughter and birthing a daughter. You know, there's so many traits that I see in my daughter that, you know, I look at her and I'm like, oh, that's my mother. <laughs> and little things like that. Poetry is obviously different than writing long form fiction or nonfiction or something like that. Where does, where do you, where do you see the role of an editor involved in, poetry as compared to say like a, a a long form book that's a great question they are very different kinds of editing and right. um i do some of both at rootstock but i am um the poetry series editor which means i i not only edit the books and i'll talk about that in a minute but i curate the series i'm in charge okay. of acquiring manuscripts and, and choosing the books that we want to publish in the poetry series at Rootstock. And then the, the editing part for poems, I've worked with poets who, you know, maybe they have a hundred poems and they, they say, here, I have a book. But when you look at those hundred poems, are they telling a story? Are they in a narrative arc that, mm. you know, makes sense as a book? You know, even though it's a book of poems, you still want to have a narrative arc. You want the reader to come away with a sense of of story and a sense of place and a sense of narrative. So it's good to look at those poems um, and put them in an order that feels natural to the story of, of what the poems are trying to say. Um, and I, I'm also a fan of culling down. But the tighter the collection is, right, that, you know, with poetry, more isn't always better. You know, when you can get it pared down to the essence, um, it becomes a really powerful story. Right. So sometimes I'll work with poets to cut out poems. And then even within the poems, there's a lot of revision that has to go on um, for a poem to become a poem. You know, there's many, many drafts, just like there are with longer forms of writing. Um, and that could be, you know, a, I'll, I'll be looking at a poem that I'm working with with a poet, and maybe I highlight that this, the word snow was used, you know, six times in a poem. And when when you're having, um, you know, a poem just has such a brevity of words. So every word is important. And right. unless it's part of the rhythm and the form of that poem, you might not need to repeat the same word, you know, the word snow over and over again, right? So, so sometimes poets don't see that and it's good to work with them to revise that, to find new words, um, to find fresh ways of saying things. Sometimes people will fall back on some cliche metaphors, you know, and and I'll work with poets to, to say it fresher, say it newer. 
Right. And so have you ever been in a situation either through your own poems or through editing and working with uh, other poets where they have to kind of rewrite the entire rhythm because there's too many redundancies in, in situations like that? Oh, yeah. A poem can start out one way and turn out a completely different way. Um, I've done that with my own work. Um, in fact, the, the poem in here that's called The Missing Poem, Birth, the reason it's called that was because when I was putting the book together, I realized I didn't have a poem just about the birth itself. <laughs> so I was like, oh, now I have to write this. So when I when I wrote it, I wrote it out as just a narrative. It was more like a story. Like, you know, it was very descriptive. You can really see the hospital room. You can hear the doctors and nurses. It was It was kind of like a story of her birth. And originally that was how the manuscript was accepted for publication. But then the publisher said, you know, you have a few months to really hone your poems, however you wanna make it, make sure all your poems are polished before we go to publication. And so I kept looking at that poem and it, for me, I thought it was saying too much and it was too long. So I thought, oh, I'll just revise it a bit. And a bit turned into quite a lot of revising. <laughs> I turned it into a completely different form. It turned into like an erasure poem. It's like a few words on the page now. I mean, right. I took out, I would say I took out like 80% of the poem and left like these little chunks, little phrases. Um, and it, you know, it's a completely different poem, honestly. And, and sometimes I do that. I remember I had a poem, I think it's also in here. It started out as a sestina. Yes, it is in here. It started as a sestina, which is a, a specific form um, it has a rhyming scheme and the end words are very specific and it repeats um, in the in this like six line way. And it just wasn't working. It wasn't working somehow. And, and I was working with my mentor at the time, um, Laurent Bosselard. She's a fantastic poet. And she said to me, maybe it's not a sestita. Okay. And I said, oh, <laughs> what is it then? You know, I was like, okay. And so I wrote it out and then it came out more like a prose poem and it has just some couplets in it that stayed in there, but um, but it completely changed form. And that that to me was funny because I normally don't start with something as rigid as a sestina and then go to something freeform like a prose poem. Mm. Um, I've done things the opposite where I'll just have like a page of of a journal entry and then I'll say, oh, let's turn that into a sonnet, you know, and you can go and, and pick out and plunk it into your little form. But um, yeah, poems change form all the time. It's very wow. common to, and it, and it's good to do that because, you know, it's like having a canvas in your paint and you want to try out different things. You might want to add more, you know, color here or take out color there. And so you really have to, and it's fun with poems. You can totally play with it. You can have, you know, I can sometimes have 12 or more different versions of a poem. And I'm not talking about, I just took out one word, you know, mm -hmm. I'm talking about changing it from a sonnet to a sestina to a prose poem to a something else and wow okay yeah. i didn't i didn't i didn't realize i would just as the end result i just would always assume that you'd have to the, the poet would just like change some synonyms or something or just kind of yeah, I mean, wow okay that's interesting. sometimes that does happen i do have many poems that kind of came out i'd say fully formed and just needed a little bit of tweaking um, right but it, it just depends on, on the poem. It depends on what you're trying to say. It depends on how you're trying to say it. You don't want to give away too much and you don't want to be too abstract when it comes to poetry. Is there like a way that like you have to switch your thinking when you go from like long form prose as, as compared to poetry? Yeah. So it's different because 
with fiction and long form, you know, if you're writing a novel, a novel is comprised of scenes and action, right? So you want to put yourself, at least for me, when I'm writing fiction, I put myself in the character's place and I'm kind of like in their world, in their head. And I'm kind of like, what are they seeing? What are they doing? How are they feeling? What are they tasting? What are they smelling? And I write a scene like that based on their actions and their feelings. Um, a poem, I mean, a poem can do that sometimes, but a, a poem is a little different because it's, you know, it's like a little piece of art with words and it's right. a couple and, it, and it's often a feeling you're trying to evoke in the reader or a feeling, you know, that I have, and maybe I'm writing something because I'm really angry, right? Some, I do a lot of anger poems. Those are fun. <laughs> so, you know, it comes out on the page and you're like, yeah. And then you tighten it up and, and um, it's, it's definitely a different way of, of thinking and writing, I'd, I'd say. Yeah. Right. So you physically write stuff that right? Or you just go straight to the typewriter? No, I'm a, I'm a by hand person. I have okay. like a journal. I just start out. Sometimes I just write down phrases or lines or snippets, and then I, I'll pull them out and type them up and find the shape once I'm typing them up. Okay. Cause you did, I mean, you said like, I don't know if you remember you, you, you said this is that you said it was like the words moving through your body. That's what you like mm -hmm. the physical act of writing it out. Yeah. And so, so from that sense of inspiration, when, you know, you, you, when you said like it's the words coming through your body. So, so do you, do you feel as though it's like, these are your ideas or your feelings or is this coming from something else that you're just kind of like tapping into and putting it I down on paper? I think there's both. Um, there's yeah. that whole like Jungian, you know, um, the, the collective consciousness out there, right? And and he had a whole thing about artists and poets really being tapped into that. And I have to say it, it takes a certain kind of um, lifestyle to be able to tap into that, which, you know, as a, a working mom, right? I, I have two kids, I have a puppy, I have a husband, I have two jobs. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not always just like, oh, my head's in the clouds and I can just be inspired all the time. Um, sometimes that happens and I feel like Oh, this is coming from another worldly space. Um, but most often it doesn't. Most often I might be, like I said, really angry um, and have to just journal and get something out. Um, sometimes I like to be in response to other things I'm reading. If I read something that really touches me and then I'll kind of write my emotions around that and then I might get a, a new poem from that. Um, the poem in my chapbook though called Birth of a Daughter, that one did kind of come to me like a little lightning bolt of words when I was sitting outside. And, and as I wrote it, I was writing also the process. So in the poem, it says, I sit outside, I'm in the sun, you know, I was like away from my daughter. She's at preschool. It's glorious <laughs> to have this like free, free time. I was supposed to be working, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, but the words did kind of, I, I could almost feel them coming down like from the sky and I, you know, and I had my journal there and my pen. So I was able to, to write them out. So how many of the poems that, that have you sat down and sat down and have written are based off of a subject you want to write about and how much of it is, like you say, is just be a pure inspiration? Well, I mean, it's always something I want to write about. Otherwise right. I wouldn't write it. I yeah. do love prompts. You know, I, I like to write from prompts. A lot of people don't like that. They okay. think it's too constricting, but if I, I love being in workshops and if somebody right. says, write a poem about, you know, sparkles right. but i love stuff like that and so i will 
it, I think it helps me focus sometimes or else I'm kind of like, ah, there's so much going on and so much to write about. Um, but I, I love prompts. There was, oh, Bianca Stone, she's a fantastic poet and she runs the Ruth Stone House. On Instagram one day, she put this poetry prompt and it was a news article about how scientists were discovering like the DNA of, of 500 million year old sea monsters, right? Mm -hmm. And so she goes, poets, you have to write a poem about this about this head or use this headline as, as a title, but the poem is really about your mother, but don't say that it's about your mother and end with a question. Is that the, was that rattle? That, yeah. So okay. that was the prompt. That was the, the, I love stuff like that. It's just a weird, let's take all this like chaos together and write about it. And I did, I was like, I can do this. I'm going to sit <laughs> down and write, and write this poem. And I journaled it out and I was like, Oh, that's weird. I thought it was very weird. And I didn't, didn't know it was actually going to be a poem and I typed it out and I was like, Oh, I kind of like that. And then I sent it out to rattle. They have this really cool, um, poets in the news. I think they call it poets respond. Yeah. And because it was about a news headline, I was like, Oh, I can send this to them. It's weird, but we'll see. And they liked it and they published it. Weird. So, you know, that to me, that poem never would have existed if not for Bianca and her and my, you know, Instagram scrolling. I'm, addicted to social media too much, but, but a good thing came out of it. Right. I, I wrote a poem that day. Right. And as you said, that you're, you have other genres that you, that you like. And I think you said before, I was kind of curious about this is that you don't gravitate towards like the mystery novels. Is that what it was? You know, there's a couple that I like, but I don't normally um, like that as a, you know, like the detective novels has never been my, my cup of tea. Um, right. Some of them I like, I do like literary thrillers, um, I just never seem to to get it, or it's it's just not where my heart is going. So I didn't. Right. Is it is it? I'm I'm curious. Is it is it based off of because your style seems to be more of the uh, was it off the city or was it the p pantsing or plotting? Pantser. Yeah. Yeah. Is it because you think mystery novels are more of a plotting plotters than pantser types? Because you can't really pants yeah. if you're going to write a mystery. I guess. Yeah, I guess you, you can't. Know. Except. Um, I love Jennifer McMahon's novels, and I don't know mm. if you've ever read her work. Um, there's usually a mystery element to that. There's always like a little plot twist. Um, and I love those, but she she also says that she doesn't always know where her writing is going, like where the story is going. Like she starts off with, yeah, there's a missing girl in the woods. Oh, let's go to the woods and figure this out. And then she kind of figures out the mystery as she writes it. Oh, really? And I, and I, yeah, it's really cool. So I guess she's a little bit, I mean, she's both. She's a pantser and a plotter because she, she puts up pictures of her writing process where she'll have um, sticky notes like all over her wall and she puts them around like this scene goes here and this scene goes there. And, you know, and I think she probably, she might outline um, with her novels, but, but those I do like, and I guess, I don't know if there's, yeah, I think they're technically on the mystery shelves. What would be your what would be some advice that you would give somebody that hasn't published anything yet? Yeah, writers? I mean, it depends on the genre. If it's poetry, um, you'd want to start submitting to small publishers. Um, you should also, before you ever publish a book um, or a chapbook, you should have poems published in journals, in literary oh, okay. journals. Yeah, in reviews and anthologies. Um, so you can take individual poems and submit that for publication. You know, we've got the Green Mountains Review in Vermont. We also have um, Hunger Mountain online, which is through, oh, and they, they do um, a print issue as well. That's through the Vermont College of Fine Arts. 
Um, but nationally, you know, there are thousands of literary journals. And so it's nice to start putting your work out there um, for publication um, because the publisher will want to see those kinds of credits in your work. Um, I think they usually like to see anywhere between, you know, up to like 25% of the poems in your, in your book have been published in other places. How important would you tell an author that, hey, you know what, I know you've read your book. I know you read it a couple of times. I know you did a draft, but send it to an editor. Is that, would you? Oh, it's huge. So um, with my work at Rootstock Publishing, I mean, that's the first step. And we turn away a lot of manuscripts if we see that it needs more editing. Um, of course, we have professional editors on staff and we have proofreaders. Um, but if, if it needs an edit that's instead of just like a copy edit or line edit, if it needs something more substantial, like developmental editing, um, we will turn away a manuscript and recommend they go they go work with an editor before it's ready to publish. And, you know, like I was saying before, I, I finished a draft of a, a YA novel um, a couple months ago and I was so excited I finished it. I thought, it's done, it's done. You know, and, and I'm like, I'm a good editor. It looks perfect to me. And I did, <laughs> I did actually work with another um, developmental editor to help me with the, the structure of it because it's a very complicated, like multi-point of view, multiverse kind of book. But um, I was so excited and I sent it to an agent that was kind of waiting for it. And then she was like, I don't think it's really working. <laughs> She's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take this on. And then I did get feedback from another agent of what to revise in it to make it better, which is great. I mean, having feedback and a, a starting point um, is great, but I'm just in this space where I, I got really deflated because I thought, oh, I'm done. And then I was like, and I, and it's edited, it's, you know, it's great. But then I was like, oh, now it needs more editing. And it, it gets very, um, disheartening you know it's it's you have to have a lot of stamina and a lot of persistence to right. to be in this writing business and to keep um publishing books at it's so i'm i'm in this in between um just kind of not ready to to dive back into the novel and, and fix it even though i know that you know i think i'll get there but yeah and how is it like it's it's so interesting because it's you're you're it's a solitary job writing you're by yourself and then there's almost a point where you're like all right now i need to show it off and yeah. then there's like immediate rejection on this needs to be fixed like what like how thick of a skin would you know someone's gonna send in that how what would be some of that advice from that from just like that that emotional growth perspective that for authors to have to deal with. I mean, you just have to roll with it. You know, you yeah. have to believe in your work <laughs> and keep going. I mean, there are, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning authors that'll tell you this book got rejected, you know, 62 times from, you know, 62 agents or publishers or um, it, it takes a lot of stamina. And, it, and while writing, you know, like the act is a solitary act, it's great to have as much feedback and as many eyes on it as possible. So having, um, being in a writer's group, is a really great way to get that kind of feedback or, you know, showing it to beta readers um, b before the editors, you know, I, luckily I work in a bookstore, so I'm surrounded by people who love to read. Mm. So I got some colleagues to look at, to read it and give me feedback. Um, all of my family, you know, they're big readers. So my, my sister, my niece, my nephew, they all read it um, and, and gave me really helpful tips on, on how to, how to work some, some things through. So, I mean, that's why when you read a, a book and you get to that acknowledgement section, it's not just like, oh, thanks myself. I did all this work. It's, <laughs> you know, it, it's thank you to all these hundreds of eyes, hundreds of readers and 
friends, family, editors, writing group buddies, you know, all these people that, that help that book take shape. Right. And how would, and, and how do I find these, you know, like your developmental editors and your, in your line editors? Um, there's a lot of things online. There's like a readz.com resource for writers, uh, lots mm-hmm. of resources. It's tricky because, you know, you want to make sure you're getting like a, a, like a legitimate right. <laughs> editor. We have some fantastic people in this town of Montpelier, Vermont. Um, Susanna Noel is an editor and she runs the Editorial Arts Academy. So she actually trains people to be editors. So I, you know, and she's just wonderful. We've been friends for a long time. So I texted her or emailed her and said, oh, I I need an editor for my manuscript. Who do you recommend? Or um, even a beta reader. She helped me get in touch with another beta reader because I wanted, I wanted somebody who I didn't know (laughs) to read the book, right? Because when you're just having, you know, your niece and your sister and your husband and your colleague, when you're having all your friends and family read your book, of course, they could look at it critically, but they're, they're also going to tell you, oh, it's great or you yeah. know, whatever. I wanted somebody who didn't know me at all to just read this thing and say, okay, what's working and what's not working just from a, a reader's perspective, right? right. So um, so I did find a beta reader um, that way. And, you know, I honestly, I have to say Twitter. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, like, it's like literary Twitter is just full of resources. I'm pretty sure wow. that's how I got okay. my developmental editor, um, Brandon Amico. And oh, and Rebecca Mackay, she's um, she wrote. She also teaches, and so she wrote a whole thread on all of this feedback that she gives to her fiction students. And the entire thread, it was like taking a master class in <laughs> in revision. It was amazing. I mean, her it was everything from cliche to you know, she had very specific things. She said she always sees people writing this lost holocaust child story Mm. and it just kind of it repeats enough that it's become a cliche and she had a whole thing about how to avoid the setup of the lost holocaust child story um but what would you say is the pros and cons of self-published versus looking for a publisher you know self-publishing you can just have all control over your work you can do it yourself um you have to know a lot about how the publishing industry works Right. You also still have to do all the editing or get an editor, um, proofreading, book design, book layout. It gets pretty technical laying out a book. You know, you don't just, you know, upload this Word document that you've been working on for 10 years, which sometimes yeah. takes that long. You know, you don't just upload your Word document and now it's a book. Right. You have to have it laid out to very specific um, margin lines and measurements. Um, so self-publishing can get tricky unless you're, you know, usually you're hiring out for those skills. You're hiring a designer and an editor and a proofreader. So at Rootstock Publishing, it's kind of the best of both worlds because it's a hybrid publisher, which means that, um, you know, the author has controlled 100% copyright of their work. They also have a a higher royalty contract, so they get more net sales from their their book sales than with a traditional publisher. Um, But there's also a contribution that the author puts in to cover the work because, um, you know, traditional publishers, not including the big five, but when we're talking about like indie publishers, they are often nonprofits and they get grant money. They get, you know, National you know Humanities Council Endowment of the Arts money. Um, so that's how they cover their production costs for doing the design and layout and editing and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I would say if you really know what you're doing or can hire people to do it. Self-publishing can be a great avenue. If you're not sure how to do that, you know, hybrid publishers are a great choice. Um, traditional publishers will take a lot of time 
because you know even once you write your book and it's edited and you've had all your beta readers and it's per and you you have your MFA in writing and so it's it, you know, it's a perfect book you know you can get an agent and it could still you know be on submission for you know years um, before you get a contract with a publisher and then then there's another maybe two sometimes three year process through the publishing process so it it's a very long process. Um, and that's fine if you, you know, if that's your career path and that's what you want to do. But sometimes, you know, at Rootstock, we see a lot of authors that um, maybe have a, a book project that they've worked on in their retirement. So they're not going to spend seven years waiting for an agent and a publisher and all that stuff. So the, right. the hybrid option is a really good option for that. The fun thing about, you know, as you say, like, it's like the birth of the daughter, um, there's going to be more stories going to be more poetry at five years old, six years old, you know? So are we, is there, is there a sequel uh, chat book coming out soon? So I do have another chat book I put together. It's not about pregnancy or birth or my daughter. Okay. Um, sorry. We're not going to just, you know, keep following her, but she does do cute <laughs> things now that she's five. Um, <laughs> this, this chat book, I realized this is very kind of, um, you know, motherhood centered and centered on my own mother and my mother-in-law, you know, it's very, it's, it's like the mother energy. So right. I realized, oh, let's, you know, I have all these poems about my father. Um, and so I put those together in their own chat book. And that has been out on submission with publishers for a while. It came in as a finalist with one contest through Vermont College of Fine Arts. And I think it was a semifinalist with another place, but it didn't, but again, it's not getting picked up. So then I recently um, took those poems and in what I call embedded it into like a full length manuscript um, where I made three chapters or three sections in the book. So I have, um, you know, I have the part about my father and my childhood is in the middle and is bookended by just other poems about, about me and my own identity. And then I have pandemic stuff at the end because you know who didn't write pandemic poems this year <laughs> um so I, I i rounded that out because the the chapbook about my father and my childhood was about i think it was about this like the same amount of poems maybe 20 poems and so i rounded it out i have about 60 now i think 60 pages that to me is the the full length collection and i've just put that out to a couple places so we'll see if that gets picked up Oh wow! Okay, that's exciting stuff. So, do you does it also kind of fill in the the Samantha Colber theme of dark but hopeful too? Is that? Yeah, they might yeah. be darker. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, they, some of them are quite dark. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a household. You know, we were middle class Jewish family in the suburbs of New Jersey. So on the outside, everything looked fine. But on the inside, there was a lot of chaos and there was a lot of abuse and neglect going on. My father looms large as a figure in that. So there's a lot of poems that talk about that. But what I did was I did persona poems in the voice of my father mm. through text messages. So it's it's kind of funny-ish. I mean, it's funny to me. I have a very dark sense of humor. So. <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I think that's pretty unique and original, um, but but like I said, we'll see. I, oh, I did have a, a publisher there. They rejected it, but they said how powerful the poems were and, and something about how they they saw something in a new light that they hadn't seen before. 
that's the best feedback I've ever gotten, but you're not going to publish this. Book. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it didn't make any sense. Like it, it felt like the, it was like the nicest rejection I'd ever gotten because they really understood what the project was doing. Right. right. But, but then I was like, but they're not publishing them. I was like, damn. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see if, if they get out there, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm working on a lot of things. I have, you know, I always say I have like writer ADD, right? I've got my poems, I've got my YA, I've got like a middle grade book I started working on a while ago. Oh, I've got picture books that I've written, all these, all these things. But when you have, and I'm, I'm imagining you probably have a stack of journals, like you've been write, writing and writing. How do you determine what's written down there is going to, by what format are you going to utilize that idea or story seed? Yeah. So usually when I have an idea for a book, I get a special notebook for the book. <laughs> I write like the little title of it, you know, so I, I will get specific journals that I'll try to, to specifically write those in there. And you know, it, it works for me. Like I had like a few hours a few weeks ago and I thought I really want to work on this, this new, well, actually it's not middle grade. It's YA. I think yeah. a middle, I think I put the middle grade away, but you know, so I took this notebook to the, to Hubbard park and I just went for a little walk in the woods and took my notebook and took my pen and I sat on a log and I, I got into my little character's head. I thought, well, what is she thinking today? Let's write some backstory for her. And I just, just wrote a scene, nice. um, you know, and I wrote a good, I don't know how many pages I wrote some pages, you know? And so eventually, oops, I dropped a book. Eventually you do that enough times and and you have a book you know it's just scene after scene right and you have to feel you know almost like exercising in a way that you're just going to keep practicing that creative muscle to make sure that it you know it, it doesn't deflate or anything as well well yeah like i said like i haven't written in that one um for weeks because if i don't make the time if i don't give myself the time to do that then it, right. it will never get written and the only reason um the other ya novel got written was because i had spoken to an agent <laughs> i kind of did this thing backwards <laughs> i i pitched a book before it was written and you're not supposed to do that but i was talking to her about another project already but when i told her what this new book idea was about she said that's great i'll read that and i said oh okay i just have to write it <laughs> So, but I'd had this idea, let's see, this was 2019. I'd had the idea for this novel for six years. Wow. It, it was, it started in 2013. I was at the airport and I was just noticing how buried in iPhones everybody is, right? With their headphones and iPhone. And, and you know, I know we're there now. I'm looking at an iPhone right now. Um, but I just had this idea about technology and then what would happen if we decided it's like this dystopian apocalypse apocalypse thing in the future what what would happen if we decided that um in order for us to save nature we actually needed more technology because instead of having paper books everything is going to be digitized and everybody says well that's better for the environment because you're saving paper and you're saving trees and it became like this backwards dystopia and i had this idea about this girl who was gonna have to go on some journey to 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 save the world, you know, she has to prove that something's causing cancer. She has to, you know, right. and so I just wrote down the seeds for that, like years ago, that, that was 2013. And I, I wrote it down and thought, Oh, I'll get to that book later. And then I just kept thinking about it, never got to it and kept thinking about it. And then when I talked to this agent, I said, Oh, well, I have this dystopia YA novel. And I explained to her what it was about. And she goes, 
oh my God. Yeah. I want to read that. So I said, oh, I'll just write it. <laughs> and, then, and then it took me, that was September of 2019. It took me about a year uh -huh. to write that. Um, and I, and I just kind of, and I dedicated all of my free time to that because I, you know, I wasn't really, I put the poetry aside, everything. I was like, I'm writing this book now. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's funny. Cause when people, when writers say, when you ask them how long it took them to write a book and sometimes they'll say, Oh, eight years. But I think a lot of that, you know, like technically this book took me like, yeah, like eight, <laughs> eight years, but six of that was just, it was in my head. Right. Right. And then when I finally got to the stage of, and I'd been taking notes cause I did start a notebook for it a long time ago. I think in 2015, I started my notebook for it and I had a few scenes here and there, but, and I had like a little outline of where I, I knew I wanted it to go. Um, and then of course, once I wrote it, other characters showed up that I hadn't planned on. Right. But some of them took over a little bit, some, you know, um, but it, but it was really, cause I'm, I'm not that plotter. It's not like I made the outline and said, I'm going to write it just like that. <laughs> you right. know, I think, I think in terms of characters and, and worlds, like this one is a, is a future world. So I was like, okay, what's this world really like? Um, and, it, and it's scary because I, you know, with, with going to that dark side, I guess you might call it, I, um, the best advice I ever got from my advisor in my MFA program was write what scares you oh, okay. because that you like, that's where this, you know, this fire is. Right. Um, and so that's what I thought of with this world. I thought, well, what's the scariest thing I can think of? And I was like, well, technology is going to take over. There's going to be no more trees. Climate storms have ravaged everything. Species are dying off. Like it's, it's really quite a ravaged, um, ravaged earth. And so, that's what I wrote. And what would be the advice you would give to a to a writer to find the time to write? It's really hard. Um, yeah. I'm not one of those people who who writes every day. Um, although I have lots of friends and I know other writers who will get up religiously at five a.m. And if you're on Twitter, it's called the Five A.M. Writers Club. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Five A.M. Writers Club. Um, so if the, you know you can wake up at five and get a good two or three hours of writing in maybe before the, the day starts, before the rest of the household wakes up or before you have to go to your day job or school or wherever you're going. Right. Um, so mornings could work writing, you know, all the time. Like for me, I always have a notebook next to me or, or with me in my bag, wherever I am, especially if I'm walking in the woods, walking for me is a huge inspiration and a, and a huge way that kind of opens me up right. to, to seeing the story or feeling the words or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, if I'm just going for a walk, um, which is nice because then you can get exercise and write at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, but it's hard. Like when I was really writing this, um, the YA dystopia book, it was constantly in my head to the point where I was even on a run one time. Cause I was like, you know, still exercising. Um, and I had to stop on my run because a scene came to me and I had to write it down and I didn't have a notebook or a pen. So I had to type it out on the notes on my phone. <laughs> and I was like panting. I remember I was on this dirt road <laughs> and I'm like panting at the side of the road, just going <sighs> and, you know, and typing it out. And there, you know, there's like a car going by. I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes if you're, you know, if you're in the story, you just write right. it whenever. Um, wow. But if it works for you to do that 5 a.m., daily routine that's great if not try to carve out chunks of time maybe take yourself on writing retreats there's lots of 
you know, the Vermont Studio Center offers writing retreats and scholarships. Um, lots of places you can hopefully carve a little little space for yourself. Wow, cool. Well, th thank you very much, Samantha. And if people want to learn more about you and your work, they can go to samanthacolber.com, correct? Yeah, and I have lots of audio there for my poems. Poetry is meant to be listened to as well as read. Well, thank you very much, Samantha. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I'm and I'm really glad that we uh, we connected to get you on. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. I love yeah. talking anything about books, writing them, editing them, publishing them, selling awesome. them, bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. 